Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Grr, I That's some bad hat hair. It's a cool Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Fleabag Season 2. To Damask Leary, how mm. are you doing? I'm quite well, thank you. It was my girlfriend's birthday yesterday. Happy so birthday, Angela. That's right. Shout out to you. Um, yeah, no, we went on a little uh, getaway the last couple of days. Ooh, nice. um, and my butt really hurts. From 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 what? <laughs> I wish it was for sassy reasons, but it's <laughs> not. It's because we went on like a 10K hike in the Yarra Valley. And um, I don't tend to use my body day to day. Were you walking on your butt? Yes. You just shut bu- bum one shuffle. One cheek 10Ks. at a time, buddy. One cheek at a time. That's my motto. Mm, how are you? I can see why you don't walk off and you don't know how to. Uh, <laughs> they just don't make the right shoes for me to fit each cheek. Oh, well. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, good, good. I'm kind of tired. I'm a bit tired this week. What a great way to start the podcast. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I was getting to a reason. Okay, there is a all backstory. Right, all right. I went to. Uh, Pax. I know this is not a video game podcast, so I'll That's only it. talk about it briefly. Good. Went to uh, Pax Penny Arcade nerd. Expo in Melbourne. Yeah, nerd convention in Melbourne every year. Video games, board games, and the such. It is exhausting. I was in line for two hours to play oh. ten minutes of video games that will be out inside six months. The hellscape of your own making. It so really I have is. No we, for you. I paid one hundred and fifty dollars to be there for three days to do it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so no, it was actually a really good day, a really good weekend. It was nice to catch up with some friends and play some Vigi games and stuff like that, be around my people. Cool, cool. Yeah. I saw uh, the Fleabag National, whatever it's called, National the theatre. theatre performance thingy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk about it later in the podcast, but I did that on the weekend as well, so looking forward That's to cute. discussing that a little bit as well. But we should get to our spoiler-free review of Fleabag Season 2. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Two and a half years after first airing, Fleabag returns for a second season, jumping back into the story 371 days, 19 hours and 26 minutes since we last saw our titular character. Season two is once again written by and stars Phoebe Waller-Bridge with Harry Bradbeer picking up where he left off in the director's chair. The main cast of season one also returns. Alongside new inclusions, Ray Fearon, Fiona Shaw, Angus Imry, Kristen Scott Thomas, and most notably Andrew Scott as The Priest, or as the internet prefers to call him, Hot Priest. Season two consists of six episodes, each coming in at around 25 minutes, and took us approximately two hours and 30 minutes to watch. In 2019, Fleabag season two was nominated for six primetime Emmys, 
There's another five in the uh, creative or arts or technical area as well. Good Lord. Winning four, including outstanding writing for a comedy series, outstanding lead actress in a comedy series, and outstanding comedy series. Mm. As of recording this episode, there are no official plans for Fleabag to return for a third season. However, Waller Bridge has just signed a substantial overall deal with Amazon Studios to produce new television content for Amazon Prime Video. So... First thing we should talk about, just let our listeners, listeners know what we thought of season one. We discussed in a podcast a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. You can find that at huntingseasonspodcast.com. Uh, but yeah, what would you think of season one of Fleabag, Damask? I loved it. I loved it the first time I watched it, the second time, the third time, and each for different reasons. But I thought it was practically perfect in every way. I similarly loved it. We both gave it five out of five. Mm-hmm. A rare achievement on this podcast for any show. Um, but yeah, very big fan of season one. So let's get talking about season two. Damas, can you give us your review of Fleabag season two? I certainly can. That's good to know. Thanks for that. All right. I have watched this season three times now and the first viewing left me cold while I was reading. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? We're starting there. Holy shit. That's a revelation. Well, this is my spoiler-free review. Got to be honest about these things. I like it. Oh, well, I'm shocked, but I like it. Go on. Now, while I was reading rave reviews and fresh takes on Twitter about how it was just as good as the first season, I didn't feel that way. Season one was so goddamn great and season two was good. But I laughed less and I found the central story less engaging. I didn't connect or sympathize with the story like I had with the first. Then I watched it a second time and a third time. It's a love story after all and I wanted to feel the love. This season we see false intimacy colliding with the real thing and our protagonist tries to figure out what the hell that all means. Unhealthy desires fuse with healthy ones to create confusion, excitement and fear. Our flea bag meets someone that might lead her down a very different path. The back and forth, the struggle taking place between our girl and her love interest, it's a dance. Each one wanting to entice the other into their own way of life. But their genuine care for one another keeps them each safely and respectfully in their own lane. And the tension, ooh, the tension. This season, we also get a closer look at Fleabag's family. The character of Claire is still as watchable this time around, playing the ultimate likeable shrew. She has to come to terms with the choices she made last season and whether the role she has played all of her life really fits anymore. And the more we see of Fleabag's family, the more we realise that there is a place for her to fall. It isn't perfect and those around her will rarely say or do the right thing, but there is love there. Now, so there's lots of good stuff in this season, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I prefer the first season. It was a special show that reached into my heart and told me a story about a deplorable woman who is, in fact, despite her inability to see it, incredibly lovable. The first season is when Fleabag is at her lowest, and for that, it's special. We see her exploring the abyss and all of its darkness. It's scary, but it's brave. This season has Fleabag standing on the edge between the light and the dark, waiting for her eyes to adjust. It's interesting, enjoyable, humorous, and clever, but it didn't stay with me the way season one did. It's a valid continuation and of a spectacularly high standard, because duh... I recommend you all go out and watch it, but I will say this. If life is about choosing the right place to put love, I choose season one. Beautifully said. Thank you. Beautifully said. What? I completely disagree. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't completely disagree. I think that's a very fair place to uh, to sort of hang your hat on this. Yeah. I definitely understand why you prefer season one. Mm. 
I, however, prefer season two. I'm sure you do. Uh, oh, really? Wow. I'm detecting some judgment there. <laughs> no, no, go on. Uh, so, first of all, one thing I just like about the show is the it starts with a bit of a time jump. It takes place a year later. I think it would have been very easy to start from just sort of where we left off at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting move to go so far into the future and, uh, and yeah, jump in there. There's a lot that we sort of miss that I think other shows might have chosen to do whole seasons about. Mm. But there's a little more mystery and excitement to just jumping ahead through some of that and going, well, this is a new entry point and mm-hmm. there's a reason that we've been allowed back into Fleabag's life here. And I want to talk about that when we get to a spoiler-free review as well. Mm-hmm. And there are certain elements of season one that just get dropped entirely. I don't think this is a spoiler to say, but the cafe, her business that she runs is a very important part of season one. Mm-hmm. Virtually non-existent. This season. It's not the cafe isn't there, but it's not a big part of the overall drama in any way. Mm-hmm. And it's like it just knew that that wasn't... That was season one stuff. We're doing season two stuff. This is a different story, a different time of this character's life. I really appreciate that. Um, it's really hard to understate how important the chemistry between Fleabag and Hot Priest. I will not talk to him, say, call him Hot Priest throughout oh, this. God, all right. Um, <laughs> well, how, what, the priest? I call him, yeah, priest. No, Hot Priest, definitely Hot Priest. All right. Um, it is hard to deny their chemistry, and I think it is the the tight. Well, the bedrock of this season has to be. You have to believe that these two people could be so attracted to each other um, that they would be, especially the priest, hot priest, be willing to play with the idea of changing their lifestyles so much. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think their chemistry is fucking sizzling. Like, it is <laughs> really, really fun mm-hmm. to watch. And in a lot of ways, one of the reasons I love season two as much as I do and do prefer it that little bit more on season one is I find it exhilarating from start to finish. There mm-hmm. is an excitement level to it because Fleabag is excited. And in season one, again, let's not talk spoilers here, but... There were things that got her excited, but nothing that sort of reached into her soul like Well, she wasn't at does. that stage. No, she wasn't. Yeah. And it's just a different story, absolutely. Yeah. But it is really re- fun to see this character in such a different place. Mm-hmm. It's exciting and new for her in a lot of ways. And I felt that as a audience member, mm. I really, really loved it. I also have to disagree with you about the whole laughing less thing. I think I laughed more. Really? Yeah, I really do. I think wow. I was laughing more through this season. I thought it was funnier overall. There is a uh, first episode of this season alone is just hysterical. Um, I really, really love a lot of what's going on here. And I don't want to give away any particular jokes, but yes, I found this season funnier. Um, something I just wanted to bring up too that we hadn't brought up previously. I just wanted your opinion on it. What did you think of the soundtrack that goes under this season? It's a little bit different. There's this sort of big choir. It's not there all the time, but often... There's like this, almost like this um, choir of angelic choir mm. of doom behind it. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy that? Did you have any particular thoughts about that or feelings on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it helped express the magnitude of the situation. Totally. And fits yeah. with the themes of religion yeah. and stuff, obviously, as well. Did you know, I didn't know this until mm-hmm. recently, that Isabel Waller-Bridge, Phoebe's sister, composed the music for both series. That's wonderful. There you go. Just bring that up as well. Um, and also, I just wanted to talk about how this works as a conclusion. There is no plans for a season three mm. at this stage. Phoebe Waller-Bridge hasn't completely taken the idea of a season three at some stage in the future off the table. Mm-hmm. But if this is the ending, I think it really, really works at the ending. I also think it works fantastically as a middle chapter. Mm. I could very easily see there being a third season yeah. for a number of reasons. Agreed. 
Um, one thing I did want to ask while we're still in the spoiler-free part, what do you think of shows like this, this show in particular, obviously, but other shows like this with seasons that are so short? Uh, previous, in our last off-topic, hot topic, we talked about how series or shows not going on for too long can be a good thing. Mm. But what about shows like this where they're like 25-minute episodes, six mm. each? It's essentially a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, How does that work for a TV show for you? Does that... Is it worthy of being a TV show? Is it really just an extended movie cut into parts? Like, do, no, do you feel about it any differently? No, it's a TV show because it's it is episodic. Um, yes, go on. Yeah, I don't care how long or short a show or a season is, as long as it's good <laughs> television and well told. It's actually something I was going to say. This season feels more like a movie to me. Or like last a, season, yeah, yeah last definitely. season feels more episodic. Mm-hmm. Episodes were more. They don't have episode titles, but I was able to mm. define that as that's the Harry episode. That's the uh, the Martin episode or whatnot, right? Mm. This season was like, you could put the middle chapters in particular from like two to five together and like that could just be one extended episode. They're mm-hmm. not as well defined. It is kind of just like one big movie that's been cut up into parts in a lot of ways. But I just wanted to bring that up as just an mm. interesting... But yeah, that also plays with like our um, expectations of rhythm of story. If, if the expectation is a movie... Yeah, sure. I think then, like, it's certain you want to reach certain points here and there. Whereas I'm, I don't know I haven't seen it cut together, and expecting it to be a movie, whether the experience would be the same. It's just interesting, also, because mm. every time I've watched this, I've watched it all in one go. Like, I've yeah. never, I've never not, I've never watched like one episode a day or even mm. two episodes at a time. Yeah, I watch them all. Yeah, they all get. I, 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 yeah, no, I understand. Like all together, but like in watching an episode, oh, no, no, you I expect understand. like an arc. Yeah, yeah. But even just in the sense of like. Yes, you That's could how cut you it differently. It. Yeah. But it's consumed basically like a movie. By the time I'm done with it, it was basically a three-hour movie I just watched or a two-and-a-half-hour mm. movie. Anyway, uh, final score and ranking, Damask. Um, I'm going to give it a four, which so after. Four. It's a whole this star one. step down. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, this ranks second to the first. Season. Yes. Cool. It's just not as funny or as poignant for me. Sure. So. Uh, I'm going to score it a 5.5. I can't do you that. You can't do that. I, I was like, how do I score more than a 5? You it is can't. impossible. So I have to give it a 5 as well, mm-hmm. which is two fives. And wow. for me, this is marginally marginally my preferred season. I'd, maybe better isn't the right word. It's the one you like. But it's the one well, I, I enjoy more that I found fair. myself... Yeah more excited by enjoying more as I went along with it. Mm-hmm. That yeah, yeah, it's just a great season of television. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 and 2 of Fleabag. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Fleabag up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Something I want to start with for our deep dive Mm. is just to go a little bit further into the nature of Fleabag's fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Because I find it interesting, like, how it is such a structure of the show existing, right? We enter or we leave season one uh, with her sort of, she stops addressing the camera. She's like ashamed of that we found out or that everyone's talking about the whole boo thing and she Mm -hmm. just stops. She just can't look at us anymore, basically. Mm -hmm. And then this season starts... With her in the bathroom and we have that whole moment of like her wiping the blood off her face. And then she turns to the camera and goes, this is a love story. And it's like, we're back. She's like re-engaged with the audience. So, the first question there, I guess, is, is is that what happened there basically? Is this like her getting to a point where she's like, um, something's happened. I need that crutch back. Is that what that's suggesting do you think or has she been talking to the audience again from earlier on do you think like what's the yeah i don't i don't know um i guess my feeling was at the end of season one the reason that she could no longer like continue to disassociate and talk to us yep was because she was forced into being present yep whereas all of season one she kind of like was allowed to be wrapped up in her own bullshit and so in the last the closing moments of season one that's why she stopped. Um, yeah, I, I don't have the answer for you as to whether 
she hadn't spoken to the audience at all until that moment. That's the feeling I get. And mm. there's there's a bit... She has this little expression on her face because she sort of pauses for a moment before she starts. That's almost like a, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. And mm. then she turns and like starts it. And then there's a question for me, particularly in the first episode, of how performative the rest of that episode is. Because if that is the moment where she decides to look at the camera or talk to the camera again, right? It means the rest of the episode is her... It's like a flashback. She is retroactively inserting her talks to Cameron after the fact because <laughs> she didn't start beforehand. Mm. So, there's a certain performance to what she's doing because she's already experienced it once. And we know that she can do this because she does it in flashbacks in season one. She will have a memory back to when that guy's fucking her saying, you're so young, you're so young. And like, yeah. and like she will... Talk flashback, or sorry, talk, talk to the talk audience. Talk to us in the f- in the in present, yes. from the past. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. And so yeah. we know she can do that. Mm. And so that basically that whole episode, anytime she's talking to the camera while she's at the dinner table, was retroactively or Put retrospectively. Yeah, I don't know. There's something just interesting about the mechanics of that and what mm-hmm. that means and how performative it is and why she chose now to re-engage with the audience and why this is the start of season two or chapter two and Fleabag So story. why do you think she started again? Uh, it comes down to that it's exactly as she said, this is a love story, right? So mm-hmm. it's like she's <clears throat> spent a year away from Claire. She's been like getting herself better. You know, the cafe is going well. She's been clean eating and all this sort of stuff, self-improvement. But this is another internal crisis of a completely different sort. Mm. Um, and, like, there's a couple of things going here. A, she's re-engaged to a relationship with Claire at that point, which is a big deal because that was the last Huge time she deal. saw Claire was when the last time we saw them it's together. Her only other relationship outside of Boo that she has. Totally. Yeah. And then this is the first person. This is the next person. One of the things we're going to talk to about is this idea of where does Fleabag put her love, right? Mm. This love she had for her mother. She originally gave it to Boo after her mother died. And now this might be the next person. Mm-hmm. And so it's a important big moment and she needs or she feels she needs that crutch. And mm. there's a discussion with the therapist that I wanted to get to as well, in which we talk Why about the fact that she... Well, it's just that it sort of leads into it, I think. Mm. Um, the, the We talk a lot about sex and about the girl with no friends and the empty heart. Yeah. And the point that's made in that is that this is a diagnosis that the therapist is making, that Fleabag is making. Yeah. And we get to the point where she kind of suggests that her only friends are us, mm-hmm. which how real are we? Are we real? Are we friends? Is this all just an internal monologue? Is she just talking to herself the entire time? Like, could is that a realistic thing to say or is that... I just find the whole concept... It's <laughs> on a meta level, very, very interesting because it can be a literal just... She's talking to herself and we're just... This is a TV show and we understand that. Or meta physically, there is something going on here. I just think it's all very interesting. Mm, yeah. Sorry, um, I jumped around a bit. There, yeah. A lot even... of big ideas. All right. Well, going back to the first point um, about why I guess she starts disassociating again. I think mm-hmm. that's really interesting. And there's, I guess, a few possibilities as to why that might be occurring. Because she has that conversation with her dad and he's like, you know, you're not being naughty. And she's like, well, it doesn't matter, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And then, so I guess like there's almost this sense that she's kind of been very numb or kind of, you know, is on the level for a bit. Mm-hmm. And the, the highs and lows that she has gone through her entire life aren't there anymore. 
So, she, yeah, I guess she, she is maybe perhaps been blocking that side of her out and that includes her relationship with us, the mm-hmm. audience. And then there's someone there that, oh, oh, is that, could that be a possible high on its, on its way? This is then like, oh, okay, this is exciting and just falling back into that, ta- that same pattern of when things are really, really great or really, really bad, mm-hmm. oh, she's able to disassociate, she disassociates during moments and is totally wrapped up in the emotions of them, whether they're good or bad. So it starts again. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. That that moment she has with her dad outside, the whole like it doesn't matter. Mm. I read that incorrectly, I think, the first time. At first, I thought she was just blowing him off. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. it's like, it's nothing. Don't worry. But I think your reading is right. Mm. It's like this whole idea. It, it doesn't, yeah. it's meaningless. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter is, is correct. Like, who's she being naughty for kind of thing? Like, well, yeah. She can't go and tell Boo. She's not talking to us anymore. It doesn't really matter. I don't really have a need to do but Yeah, I guess, like, if you're naughty, you can't share it. You don't have any joy in it. So, you don't feel the high that you may have in the past doing those types of things. This, like, highs and lows that you're talking about in her life, these mm. exciting moments that maybe is when she disassociates and when she interacts with the camera. Skipping right to the end for a second, just for the, the dad. We've mentioned the dad. There's conversations sort of bookend this series. Mm. The second one being, or there's one, there's the flashback in the middle when they're uh, at the mother's funeral. But at the very end, he says to her, I think you know, or you know how to love better than any of us, mm. um, so which so is why it, it's so hard for you. And do you think that's part of what this is? Is that just she is just emotionally maybe... Uh, more raw or on a different level or spectrum than the others in her life? I think, yeah, there's obviously so much fear Mm. there. And I think, you know, rightfully so, she's gone through a lot of heartache. But, yeah, she's probably just an incredibly sensitive person that... And I guess, like, her, the fact that she sees things that other people don't see Mm -hmm. and that's how she connects with the audience, um, I think that shows that she, yeah is astute and perceptive and all of those things and can read people pretty well. And so is obviously like quite emotionally intelligent, if not so slightly emotionally negligent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. uh, what would you like to talk about, Damask? What's on the cards? Okay. So my main issue with this season that really kept me at arm's length um, was the priest thing. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Let's. Go. I mean, it is the centre, the... <laughs> The, the, the central mm. point of this entire season. What about that? Um, I, I, I have a real issue with the fact that he's a priest. Okay, go on. Um, and I know it's not the experience of most people, but yeah, I, it's very hard for me as a recovering Christian sure. to see someone who is in a position of power in a church behave so inappropriately. Like, and... And I've I've kind of thought about it more and more the more times I've watched the season, being like, well, he's a person just because someone lives within the church. I think it's really important for them to have human connections and not be this other being kind of thing. Sure. Um, is it so terrible for them to have romantic relationships, not sexual relationships? Because if you've taken a vow of celibacy, then you should stick with that, though I don't agree with vows of celibacy. Sure. <laughs> um yeah, like what, like what, what would be, what's so bad about 
romantic relationships. But it really just comes down to the fact that I just have a huge sign in my brain that just no, like I just, I can't, I don't find it sexy. Mm -hmm. I don't find it hot. I, I have real issues with it. And I, yeah, I think it's just, I guess, a, a familial cultural type thing that is hard for me to get over. Yeah. Fair enough. Can we unpack it a little bit though? Mm Because I think the important word there was power, right? These in a position of power. Not to me, that's not the key word. I mean, because I don't think he has power of her because she's not a part of the church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But I think they're like uh, moral standards, codes of conduct that he has sworn himself to. Um, And it's just like just watching this person make these terrible decisions just stresses me the fuck out. And I just, I just think they're wrong. So, but this is really interesting. <laughs> and though. I know I shouldn't, but it's just like, it really, and I have tried so hard to fight. And I think I was quite successful last viewing yep. in doing that and really seeing him as a human. Yep. Um, and that the whole priest thing is really just kind of like an allegory or a metaphor for su- for any person that is not in the position to love you how you want them to love you, whether they're married or whatever it might be. Ultimately, like, yeah, that's, exactly. That's what it is and they can tell that story without you being like, oh, that's really fucked up because there's a poor wife who's being hurt. Yeah. So, you can tell that story in a much more balanced way, which is really cool. Yep. But it's just the imagery of the thing that is, yeah, a real roadblock for me. So, because I think, it, okay, yeah, I think it, the imagery totally makes sense to me. Like, mm. if you just look at the, the situation of a Catholic priest, you know, and the church and... Obviously, there's a lot of bad stuff associated with that as a mm. recovering Christian yourself. <laughs> and you think about what's been happening um, in Australia and the rest of the world, Cardinal Pell, etc. right? Mm. Lots going on there. But I guess for me, I think the thing that's interesting, you're talking about how you're making him make bad decisions, right? And mm. that sort of is like problematic for you or distressing for you. It just speaks to me to one of the things I want to say, which is honest, in a lot of ways, Hot Priest, this could have been his show. It could have been its own show. We are watching this through Mm. Fleabag's perspective because this is Fleabag, right? Mm -hmm. And It's great. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But I find what the priest is going through, his own struggles so compelling on Mm. their own or if you were just to flip the perspective and make it his it would be just as interesting to me because I think what you're saying I think what he's going through this season is kind of what she was doing in season one like she's making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice and you found that exhilarating you found that fascinating and and like yeah it's distressing and hard Mm. and awful at times but you found that compelling and I think that's true for the hot priest for me because, yeah, you're right. He's making terrible decisions, especially for himself. And it takes him a long time to get to a place where mm. he makes the quote-unquote right choice probably. But I wonder how much you're missing out on there just because of the imagery of it, unfortunately. Mm. You know, it's a real I, shame I, because I think it's I there's a lot there. I admit that I think like the idea of like, oh, that's really interesting and everything you, you are saying I agree with. I'm like, yeah, yeah. T- absolutely, I agree with that. I just really can't get past it. It's that's, a real shame, isn't it? But I it's, And yeah, so I tried to remove that emotion out of my third viewing um, and just – and so I, I found – their relationship 
um, a lot more endearing and beautiful and complex and all of these things the third time round, which was which was good. But it's just it's never going to be great to me because sure. I didn't I don't feel the natural exhilaration. You you seem to reflexively keep him yeah. at a distance. Yeah, you have to. It's yeah. like a a shield you're putting up, yeah. protective mechanism. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that was my next question. Really, was you know hot priest, right? <laughs> was am I right? Was mm. the meme? You know, that mm. was the that was of all the things that were talked about around this, it was hot priest. And do, yeah, I wanted to ask: Did you find him attractive? Did you find their relationship? Did you feel that chemistry on any mm. level? Yeah, no, I, the first time I watched it, I found his whole, like, oh, I'm so uncool and, like, bleh, I was like, fuck off, mate. Like, I just thought that was a bit much, to be honest with you. Um, it was like, oh, I'm a relatable priest. I say fuck. Whoa. Um, <laughs> that was a bit much, the first viewing. To the point that I was like, is he going to end up being a bad guy? Because they clearly try to make him very relatable and likable. It wasn't the case. Um but further on as the relationship grows, it is there is obviously genuine chemistry and like care and that guy I think is a phenomenal actor. He's really good. You could argue he is a bad guy. I mean, I think there's an argument that what Hot Priest does in this season is very irresponsible mm. and that he was never really going to be with her and that he just indulges his urges for a moment and throws her under the bus at the end. I think almost literally because yeah. they end up at a bus stop but the like the the line for me there's a line that I keep coming back to just in terms of like its intention and mm, how it's written okay yeah that's Re- really interesting it's got to do with the last scene they have together where she says I love you and he says it'll pass mm-hmm. right which is probably correct and and matter of fact but feels really emotionally kind of rough in that moment. It's so it's kind of cold. I no, I didn't read it's, it like that. Only because I feel like he's the one moving on. It's easy to say like, oh you'll be fine because I'm already I'm the one who's made the decision. I, I I'm not saying it should be read like that. No. But I think you could. And if you want to argue that like if you wanted to argue that maybe he's a bit of a villain, maybe he is. Maybe he's a little bit of a bad <laughs> no, guy. I don't think he is. He's uh I mean, they're as bad as each other. They, that, that is the truth of it. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, that line, you know, it all passes. It's so full of sadness <laughs> that it's... True. Yeah. It, he's so upset for her and himself. They have a lot of good conversations throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Um, often about sex, about his history with sex. He's been there many times before. Um, sex won't bring anything good. Yeah. Certainly, All conclusion that, that bothers me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because it, it's reflective of season one. Why does that bother you? That conversation. It's it's just a purely human reaction because I know what they're doing because we've all done it before. Well, you talk about the thing so much in in a way that you're like, well, that thing is definitely not going to happen. So let's just talk about how much it's not going to happen. <laughs> All in an effort to definitely make sure that you both know that it's going to happen. It's just like, and it's like the therapy says, you already know what you're going to do. Yes. That's that's why it always keeps coming up over and over again because they've both made the choice. 
And again, you want to argue that he's the bad guy? <laughs> he knew he was going to fuck her and then go back to God. Like he did. He did. It was inevitable that yeah. that was going to happen. He'd already made that choice. So, are you saying that that conversation is distressing because it's obvious or because it's like you re- you feel this? No, because gonna- I feel it because I'm a human and I'm like, stop it. I just want to walk in there and just like pat them both on the nose and say, no, no. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Roll up newspaper. That's right. Uh, A moment we have to get to, though. And when I talk about this season being exhilarating, Mm -hmm. like, and again, and just before talking about the mechanics of the fourth wall breaking, Mm -hmm. the incredible moment. Mm. I'm I'm really scared. (laughs) No, no. It's it's later in that conversation where she looks to the camera and says something and he goes, where'd you go? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, that is really fun. You're like, oh, what? What? Yeah, right. What a twist! What a twist! Yeah. Because the, I mean, again, it's just like the part of my brain is just like the metaphysical implications of this. Mm. But on another level, it's just their their chemistry is already kind of undeniable, and to have this guy sort of see something that nobody else sees, a mm. secret that only we've been privy to, mm. is fucking amazing. And then, like the next episode, when they're talking in the cafe and he just goes that there and like looks directly into the camera for just a second. Yeah. It is fucking exciting and like scary. It's really interesting. Yeah. I thought I obviously the first time when I watched that, when he first turned, you're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And then the cafe, when he does the full on turn around yeah. and screams into the camera, you're like, what's happening? Uh, it was, ve- it was really exciting. Um, but no, I I love this idea of her kind of the false intimacy that she's built with us. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of her her sharing place. And because they share real intimacy, he just sees right through it and kind of begins to re- replace us in that way, which is is really cool. But no, it's certainly an exciting development. To the point where she even gets mixed up a couple of times. Yeah, like, about his neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got such a beautiful neck. Says what? the wrong thing. Mm. It's like, it's not just distraction. It's like, yeah, she is sort of mixing the two. Mm-hmm. She's opened herself up to this guy and yeah. they get the two intertwined. Um, I also think that comes with a real vulnerability that she expresses really well when she sort of tells him she to leave. When he starts to ask questions, that like really starts to press her about... Mm. You know where she's going, and the and I think the boo of it all and stuff like yeah. that. And then she's like, "I need you to go now." And she kind of gets quite upset at him. Mm. And well, I he think- says that he's there to like help her or whatever. Right? And she's like, well, that's not what I wanted. And I think that's really true too. That mm-hmm. felt really real when you get to a point with someone that you are starting to get vulnerable. It gets kind of scary, and you you will push them away a bit. Oh, bruh. <laughs> I'm a lesbian. We don't push them back. Like, let me tell you everything <laughs> right now. We'll talk all night and we'll be married by the morning. But like that that, that vulnerability can become anger in a sense mm. uh, for a bit. It's like a protective mechanism. But okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> our, our lived experiences are slightly different. That's fine. <laughs> Another thing I do like about the Hot mm. Priest, though, and I do already sort of suggest this, is that it there's a story going on there that we only are seeing from the outside. When she goes to the church at night before they have the big confession scene. Mm. Well, yeah, right before that, he, he turns the music on and she goes and finds him in his little priest quarters at the back, um, which are very true to life, by the way. Someone who spent some time in those sorts of areas because my grandfather was a priest and I performed in churches and stuff like that with play mm. stuff. That's exactly what they look like and feel mm. like. They're a weird space. Um, but, like, he is in a bad way. 
He is. He has a drinking problem. Yes, he does. And he mm-hmm. is suffering at that point. He yeah. is ha- internal turmoil. He is really questioning the thing that he thought was the bedrock of his life with his faith and his priestdom about his feelings towards Fleabag. Mm. It's very compelling, I thought. Yeah, the, the little hints we get of his life are very interesting. Because so, both of his parents are alcoholics. Mm-hmm. His brother was is a pedophile. That's probably had a pretty rough fucking life. Yep. Um, yeah, and he clearly has a drinking problem. Um, even the fact that he knows that this woman is some, is a person that he's interested in mm-hmm. and is continuously trying to get drunk with her. <laughs> Yes, and it's this, like, if alcohol is a temptation of its own, she is another one. Mm-hmm. He is He's finding himself coming up weak over and over and over again, it yeah. seems like. I think that he toasts his to peace and those who get in the way of it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what she's doing. She's yeah. fucking with his peace. Um, when... <laughs> is it worse, do you think, that your love interest chooses someone who you don't even believe is real? Over you. Like, it's one thing that if he just had a wife, right? Which is a metaphor for. Mm. Well, not a metaphor, maybe. But like a a simile for, in a way. That this could have just been... He was with another woman and he was getting bored with that relationship and starts to fuck around with Fleabag and then now i got to dedicate myself back to my wife. It's way better... For someone to choose God... Is it? The creator of all that they truly believe is real... ...than just another woman or person... Of course, it's better that they choose God. But I just think that's interesting. That's <laughs> like it's someone that you don't believe in. It may even think is a delusion, essentially. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that someone would choose something that you don't think even exists or is real well, over you. That's going to bruise your ego. It's not a bit. that much of a foreign thought for me because my parents are Christians, sure, and they believe being sure. gay is a sin. Sure. So if you want to talk about that, I kind of know what that feels like. Um, so it's up to you whether you want to talk about that or not on the podcast. That's so. Um. Yeah. No. That's uh. That's not. That's real. But if my parents said we think being gay is a sin because Gary down the street said it, I'd be upset. <laughs> I'd be far more upset. But they're like, you what, know, who the God, fuck is Gary? Exactly. <laughs> uh, but you know, God, the Creator of all, the Savior of their souls, says it. That's a little easier to take. I do have a question for you, though. Yes. Now, you say that your grandpa was a priest. Yes. Was he hot? <laughs> well, I mean, he's part of my gene pool, so obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo, yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's a couple of little moments here as well that are just interesting in terms of Fleabag and the camera. She pushes us away mm-hmm. when she's having sex with a hot priest. And then... The ending, and maybe we're not at the ending yet. Maybe we should talk about Claire. We spent a year without Claire. That's pretty big information that mm-hmm. after they we established such a connection oh. together. And the end of season one was very traumatic, obviously, for Fleabag. Mm-hmm. The idea they didn't see each other for a year. And you said, I think, at the end of our review of season one that you felt so strongly against Claire's decision Claire. there. Yeah, like oh, it hit really you pretty upsetting. hard that she yeah. did that. So, how do you feel that within basically an episode, it's not all fixed, but they're mm. back, like rooting for mm. each other or in each other's corners again? They're supporting each other again. Yeah, I think what. Well, firstly, this season really cements the fact that Claire, and I kind of knew this in season one, but it really cements it in season two, is that Claire doesn't believe. Martin's story of what happened. No, she just has to believe it because otherwise her marriage. Is over. Yeah. 
and she's not ready for that yet. So when she's in, she's not ha- ready to confront herself for who she truly is and make herself happy. The, the quote she was making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So this this time around, she's being forced to see Fleabag again. Mm-hmm. Um. And it may have gone the way of, oh, we have quiet dinner, go off into the night, and the relationship continues to be fractured. Yeah. Just so happens that that's the night she has miscarriage. Yeah. And so they share something and are reminded of their sisterly bond. That's quite a scene. Ooh, the... Get away from my miscarriage. Yeah. Oh, will that break your heart? Fucking hell. It's both funny and makes you go, oh, God, my heart. And also, yeah. she didn't. Like, mm. she managed to. She's like, oh, it's no, it's right mine now. Her it's li- mine now. She literally took it for herself. Oh, and then Martin, the fucking dickwad. He is quite the cunt. And into a, a step above. My term, of, I use dickwad because I was like, We've got more international listeners, should I say, cunt. But apparently, it's it's cool. We're still doing uh, it. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do you have a better word? No, I think it's aptly describes the Martin. appropriate word. Okay, yeah. good to know. Um, I need your permission on that one. Thank you. <laughs> the he is worse this season than he was last season. Even mm. he is. Oh, he's disgusting and oh, it makes my skin crawl. When he is at the bar after he's had a drink, obviously even though he's telling Claire he wasn't, mm-hmm. and says to her, to Fleabag, you know, how are you going to make this about yourself tonight? Mm-hmm. And then all this stuff's happening with Claire at the table. She just had the mirror's carriage. She sat down instead of leaving, which was the plan. Mm. That's distressing and exhilarating. Again, very, very sort of like a lot of tension there that's pretty incredible, I think, as a viewer. Oh, yes. But... Um, Great just eye work between oh. both those women at the table. <laughs> the eye acting was phenomenal. But even just like it, it, it just seems so unfair on Fleabag, right? She's not talking. She's not making it about herself. Mm. And Claire's like, "Why aren't you talking?" And somehow, not talking is making the focus her. And yeah. then, <laughs> and then when she is just trying to step in for Claire, Claire, oh, here come the eye rolls from Martin. Here we go, mm. blah blah blah. And then that moment when he talks like about a how the fish ba- out of a fucking water bowl. Oh my god, like a fish out of a bowl. Oh my god, just like and. <laughs> Okay, so I do love the scene when he's, like, talking to Fleabag and he's really upset, obviously, because he's kind of figuring out that Claire's leaving and he just screams, like, I was trying to make her feel better. Just while you feel for him in that moment because he's so pathetic and he's so scared and so upset. The acting in that scene is phenomenal. It's uh-huh. so good. That that guy's amazing. Um, you, you also say, like, for fuck's sake, Martin, that's not how you make someone feel better. Is <laughs> by insinuating... That their sister, who was apparently just had a miscarriage, oh, the fetus was purposely trying to leave her body because it would rather be dead. Oh, my God. It's just, he's the worst. He's forever the worst. What's his excuse? I'm not a bad guy. I just have a bad Bad personality. personality? It's not my fault. (laughs) Which is very good. It's it's wonderfully written. He gets so many amazing lines. He does. I do... Really cherish the moment in episode six, though, where Claire gets to throw back his line about the fishbowl back oh, at him, though. Yeah. It's like, good. just, oh, it was, it was my miscarriage. Mm. And then, like, we were pregnant. It's like, oh, you know. Mm. And it's just throws that awful line back at him. And oh, I, it's so satisfying. I love it because Godmother earlier said to Fleabag, she's like, please don't have another miscarriage, as in, like, don't make another scene. And then Claire, finally, she gets to make her scene and it's mwah, beautiful. Um, the How do you feel about like, 
Claire without Fleabag, I guess. If Claire has been, or Fleabag's been away from Claire for a year, season one establishes that in a lot of ways, Claire feels very responsible for Fleabag mm-hmm. and for Martin and for their son, whose name I've forgotten all of a sudden. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. Jake, mm-hmm. I think. And <laughs> the, she, uh, by all intents and purposes, Fleabag is doing okay at this stage, right? She's looking after herself. The cafe is going great. She hasn't needed Claire, really. If anything, Claire has needed her more in this season, at least. And so, this sort of changing world for Claire. Who is Claire when she's not needed, I guess? When she doesn't need to look after a broken sister and stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's it's uh, that's the thing, is that Claire characterizes herself as this woman who is put upon. Yes. And so, you know, I guess even like trying to save her marriage with Martin and saying goodbye to Fleabag, you know, she's put upon, she's got all these responsibilities. And I think, yeah, being pregnant, you made her go, oh, this is going to be it forever. I will always be the woman who's yeah. just put upon. Fuck, that's, oh God, this will be forever for the rest of my life. And then she has a thought, I don't want my husband's baby. Yeah. And so she doesn't want to be put that put upon person anymore. And so she's able to shift her relationship with Fleabag. She does she stops taking that role. Instead of, you know, Fleabag tells her about the priest, instead of being like, Oh f- fuck, oh no, how do I fix it? She laughs and says, You're my hero. Because she doesn't want to play that role. And she starts to take the steps to do that, which is awesome. I do love the moment where Fleabag's talking about like chasing Claire, chasing Claire. <laughs> the airport when the, she's talking about the airport the only person it? i'd run through an airport for is you that's beautiful that is one of the most without having to do a stupid run through an airport of which glow did recently kind of and was like why are we doing this mm. um and it was obviously a cliche not this it was not the same yeah. context but, but like, claire's little monologue about why that would be so fucking weird oh totally is so funny yes and she's like what, I just run him into him at CVS while he's buying socks? I'm like, oh, hey, I happen to know your flight number, what gate it was at. Like, she's like, that would be fucking insane. And it would be. Uh, but the, the sentiment but the, yeah, the sentiment at the end she is, would do that for Fleabag. It's the closest, mm. you know, it's a pretty amazing expression of love for your sister, I think, and why yeah. I love them as a pair. Yeah. Oh, they're so great And together. also, like, it's it says so beautifully, like, well, yes, they think one another is insane they never truly believe that one another is insane like yes you're crazy and i love you but i know you're not crazy because yeah, i know who you are which is beautiful yeah i know you better than anybody else and you know yeah. me and yeah mm-hmm. there's something really really beautiful about that yeah uh let's go back to fleabag for a second mm-hmm. um there's an interesting scene actually in the episode where Fleabag's helping Claire out with the function she's got on mm-hmm. which is quite a fun episode lots of Claire and Fleabag together which is always good yeah uh, I do like the moment where Claire gets angry at her because she put a joke in her head that she ended up using. <laughs> and then she's I don't wa- need your jokes. And yeah. she's talking about, Claire's talking about, is this quote, I can't remember it exactly. It's this quote, mm. this idea that she's worried that she's a failure or something. And then I love just the cut to the <laughs> wide of like. Don't talk about <laughs> Don't talk about this office. Um, but no, in that this episode, I really wanted to talk about the conversation that Fleabag has with Belinda. Ugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Maybe you should talk about this. I feel like you've got some thoughts on this conversation. Oh, not 
Domestic. Anything about the conversation, just the chemistry. Oh, yeah. The sensuality of it, the sexual chemistry of it. <laughs> well, it's interesting. There's a big conversation about menopause in there. Not the sexiest conversation in the world, but an interesting perspective. Depends who's talking about menopause, obviously, <laughs> which I think this scene proves. Um, just this idea that this idea that gets better for women, this expression of like how when you're a fertile young woman, essentially, there's sort of this, you might be perceived as being a machine with parts. You know, you have mm. this specific use and it restricts what the world and what you think you can You're do telling with your me, life. brother. You're telling me. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying not to. <laughs> I'm just expressing what Belinda said. Um, and then this idea that, you know, menopause sucks, but this life after pain where you're free, mm. where. You know, you're no longer this baby-making machine that you get to be this more mm. complete. You're su- suddenly like you're free yourself. of the male gaze. Yeah. And so you can move through the world in a in a freer way, which is makes sense to me. Mm. And then mm. there's also this idea of like going out and flirting. Like Fleabag's been in a interesting place. She's been off sex and all this sort of stuff mm. for a while now. It was a destructive force for her in season one. But, you know, she's also early 30s or whatever she is, Yeah. now is the time. Um, go out and flirt and do those things too. Mm. And like getting some perspective that like abstinence is not the answer either here. You've got to find the, the healthy middle ground somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun, but have fun for the right reasons for you. And yes. that it's actually fun. And yeah, you're not trying to prove anything to anyone or... Whatever it might be. I just found this whole conversation just an interesting aside. Belinda is a character that's only in this episode. She's basically in that scene and, and is just sort of present in a couple of other scenes. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's just in almost an aside. It's not directly related to what's going on necessarily. No, it's not. It's just wanted to be included in there. Yeah, I think it's just nice. You know, obviously season one was about love and grief Mm -hmm. and this season's about love and faith and like while obviously we've got this big central thing of faith in you know an omnipotent being or whatever it might be i like this faith of in yourself faith in that things will get better like a hope which is nice Mm -hmm. yeah no i thought i thought it was a really lovely conversation it's nice to see conversations between different generations of women. Totally, yeah. Which isn't something that we often get to see, which is good. And just like, I'm trying to think of the only other woman that's really in this show that would be the same generation as Belinda as Godmother and they're not having a conversation about that sort of stuff. No. <laughs> no honest conversations going on there, even if even when they do speak. In general, there is less Godmother this season. Mm-hmm. Like, she is present, but she doesn't have that sort of overriding, arching villain feel that she did in season one. That mm. was season one again. And she, Livy Coleman is left to just sort of have her moments and be as godmotherish as ever and mm-hmm. be very good at it. Yeah. Um, but she, yeah, she's not as involved in the story as she was in season one. No, she's she's kind of more this season there for the jokes. Yeah, she's more it, comic relief. Kind of, you know, it works. Um, we also have, you said this was a season of, a lot about like family and stuff like this as well. In your yeah, we certainly see quite a bit of a family. Including her dad. Mm. Um, what did you make of what they did with him this season? He was certainly softer and more accessible. Still a distant father. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, did, we were able to get those insights that we weren't allowed in season one. Um, yeah, I think seeing that 
he does somewhat understand Fleabag, um, that he does see her was interesting because in season one, it certainly felt to me that he didn't. And that was his failing is that he didn't do that. But in this, to the end of this season, we're like, oh, okay, he, he recognises who she is. Do you think we just as an audience come to a better understanding of who he is, I guess? That, yeah, I think so. Like he talks about how he always loved his mother or how he loves Fleabag, mm. but he d- doesn't always like Fleabag. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, he didn't always like his wife. Yeah. Like he They're was- very different people. Very different. And he was mm. quite jealous of her, he admitted. Uh, jealous of her sort of being so kind and mm. so- Always knowing what to do. and Fun and doing it so easily. Yeah. And even at her funeral, you know, he, he admits this sort of stuff, this moment of- grief that it was that relationship he loved her but it was hard for him at times mm. to be with this woman who was so different it's the fa- the mother figure still fascinates I know, me so I much i want to know more and the funeral is such an interesting flashback it's our first real extended flashback there are no talk to camera sides in that at all mm. it is just a raw memory of that day and the absurdity of like looking amazing at your mother's funeral, which is a very funny little joke to run through mm. that whole scene, I think. And then get a lot of time with Boo as well. And we see where Harry was at the time. Harry. And what yeah. Godmother was up to then. It's a really, really uh, insightful scene into the backstories of these people. But again, we still feel like mm. we're talking about the mother in the, in the, yeah, past, in the post tense or past tense. Yeah, she's not. Even in the flashbacks, the the trauma of her death is still that big black hole. Do you think that's what it is? It's like a wall that we're just not talking about that? Definitely feels like it. But I I just wanted to say that in season one, I posited, I'm like, I wonder if Harry is always on, always seems like he's on the verge of tears because of like the cheating and stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. He was clearly always like that, even at her mum's funeral. He was telling her mm. and while crying how hard it is when someone <laughs> you know dies. Um, so he's always just been a soppy little shit. Mm. I think we should maybe get t- towards the ending here. Um, the moment at the end where we find out, I think a big revelation or a big moment here of symbolism here is that we find out that the sculpture that's been there since season one it's is based on Fleabag's mother. Bang and bud. Mm. <laughs> well, we're... Knew she had Claire's. Oh no, Claire had her boobs. Yes, that's right. Um, the the moment we find that out, she's just given the sculpture back to Godmother as sort of like a peace mm. offering, as like mm-hmm. a olive branch. But also like a f- fuck you. As a fuck you. I've had it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it a can fuck be both. You, but it can be over. Yeah. And then to find out that it was based on mother, and then for her to have it at the end. I think that ultimate symbolism of where we leave Fleabag here, this, if this question was where does Fleabag put this her love mm. that she gave to Boo, that then Boo went, that she was considering giving to the pl- priest and she says she loves him and he loved her. Mm. She's still left holding on to this mm-hmm. and not, we don't know where she's going to put it yet. Yeah. But she still waves goodbye to the camera. How do you feel about that moment, that little I'm leaving you goodbye moment? 
Yeah, I guess I, I like what you're saying there about the, yeah, the statue kind of representing that love she has for her mother um, and her finally, like, I guess, really possessing it herself. Yeah. And yes, she, w- she can't, will give it to others, but at that moment she possesses it herself, which is really lovely. Yep. Um, I also felt in those closing moments, you know, we talked about how her and the priest shared genuine intimacy mm-hmm. and how that's why he could kind of see us or see that she was going somewhere else um, because they shared true intimacy. And I liked the idea of, you know, when you experience the real thing, going back to false intimacy, you just can't do it anymore. And I think kind of that's what we were a little bit. Like when she's not really connecting with us, she wants to talk to someone real now. She really wants to connect with with someone because she – just had. So she's going to need to get over that. And there's hope now that she can do that and that she doesn't need us. So she gives us a little wave. Thanks for getting me through. But yeah, no. Nah, I don't need I you want anymore. something. I know what I want now and it's not this. There's, there's, It's a really sad ending, but as you said, a really hopeful mm. one at the same time. And yeah, the idea that, I mean, that's the other thing that the priest, you know, going, where did you go? Mm. It does point out the fallacy of it, points out, the artificiality of it—it's mm. like you're not—you weren't here; you were yeah, somewhere the, else. Her inability to be present when she's faced with other people, <laughs> she has to escape um, until she she can't when she's actually connected with someone. What was the quote from Claire again? Happiness comes from confronting yourself for who you truly are. Mm. Maybe this is her chance to really be present, confront herself, and be happy eventually. Mm. Yeah. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes to mask? I've just got a bunch of quotes, really, that I very much enjoyed. Love a good quote. Um, I love when she's in with the therapist and she just says, the therapist says to Fleabag, not a romantic, just a girl with no friends and an empty heart. Yeah. It's one of those lines that, yeah, it's quite a few of those um, in this show that make me laugh out loud, but also make me like go, oh, that hurts. Like, just breaks your heart. Um, Next one is, oh, Livia Coleman is so good. When the priest has told them that his brother is sick. Yep. And (laughs) Fleabag goes, oh, here we go. And Olivia Coleman just goes, you poor man. (laughs) And the vitriol in the you is just perfection it's you it like chills up your spine yeah when she says it and then she just like so much sympathy then pours out of her it's very well played can i just jump on top of that one for a second when he leaves finally and she i think she calls him a cunt yeah (laughs) and then she's walking away and she just says to to father send them away it's just like the i can't do any justice but the the shrillness Shrill, in that yeah. voice just like send them away it's yeah. just beautiful mm. yeah, yeah go on a heartbreaking line um from flea bag in the flashback to her mum's funeral just simply i don't know where to put all the love i have for her it's so oh oh getcha uh, this is really my the next one's really my favorite line um <laughs> and i think it's also, the wonderful performance by Claire and the wig work done, but simply when Fleabag turns up after her hysterical phone call from Claire and Claire turns around with that haircut and she goes, I look like a pencil. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every single time. Very much appreciate that. Which then leads to my next favourite little 
diatribe when Fleabag goes into the hairdresser. Yes. And she goes, wow, hair is everything. <laughs> we wish it wasn't so we could actually think about something else occasionally, but it is. It's the difference between a good day and a bad day. We're meant to think that it's a symbol of power, that it's a symbol of fertility. Some people are exploited for it and it pays your fucking bills. Hair is everything, Anthony. <laughs> Just thought it was beautiful. I also love how that scene ends. It's like this whole thing and then he shows the, the reference photo and it's like exactly what yeah. Claire wanted and just like, oh, sorry, Anthony, we'll leave. I'll, I'll, I'll see you next week. Yeah. And it's just like she's got, <laughs> even though she's like, I can't leave going back to Anthony. It's like yeah. she's got an appointment herself. Yeah. And Anthony's response is perfect. He's like, if you want to change your life, change your life. It's not going to happen in here, which is perfect because every time something happens, everyone, every woman I know, but I'm sure lots of men do it as well, um, non-binary folks, you go to the hairdresser and you just go for a change because you want to be a different person. Oh, so many people do it. Mm. Um, just a moment as well that is in that scene between um, Claire and Fleabag in the park is the bit where they're talking about, you know, have you met a man or whatever? It's like, who is it? It's like, oh, he's a priest. And the look I know. on Claire's <laughs> face, just the head down in her hand. And then she starts it's laughing. Just, <laughs> it's so good. Just the like, like even for you, this yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's and I think she so turns played. to Fleabag and she's like, is it? And Fleabag's like, yeah. yeah. And she's like, fucking <laughs> Very well done. So mm. great. Um Anything else you want to say in side notes? No, that's it for me. I, I got a couple. Mm -hmm. Just really wanted to mention these things. So I thought they were worth bringing up. The, we do get a couple of scenes of the bank manager back in this. Yeah, that was nice. Very he important. Says goodbye. Yeah, yeah, and very important in season one. Obviously, really the bookends of this of that story. And then is there and is just still supportive and involved in Fleabag's mm -hmm. life and helps out for a bit. And then he's off to Bye. do his own thing. He's growing yeah. too. That's good. We do get to see Harry a couple of times in the flashback and in the present day. He's happily with, with another child. woman and with child. <laughs> so, good on you, Harry. Good to see you doing well. Um, I don't believe in God. And then the painting falls. The painting's falling and like being like mm. God's presence in the church. <laughs> it's very funny. And just yeah. the first time it happens and the way... The hot priest just goes, I love it when he does that. <laughs> it's really good. There's a couple of little echoes of season one in here as well. Um, when the priest asks her, would you like to volunteer? Um, and she sort of jokes in the same or reacts in the same way she did to the whole being treated like a naughty bitch bit where she gets excited about being asked. And when he's like, I'm just joking. She's like, oh, that's disappointed. Mm. Interesting. Did you see the hot priest's face when she was talking to Harry? No. He was not impressed. Oh, really? He was really, you could tell that he was really jealous. Oh, yeah. interesting. I'll go back and watch it for a fourth time. Viewing, yeah. Why not? <laughs> and then there's also the opening scene from the first episode of season one where she's standing at the door and she's like, Do you mm, know when you. Right, the callback. The callback to that as well. So there's a couple yeah. little ones in there. Um, there's a bit where Fleabag's talking to Godmother about how she texted dad and just the way it's delivered. Yeah. Oh, I saw that. And you just. It says so much about her control of that man mm -hmm. that she knows every single text message that comes yeah. through his and phone. And she's just like, oh, I have his phone today. Ex yeah. Oh, okay. he has his phone? She has his phone today. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> um, and I think the only other question I was going to ask, because I assumed you were going to love this season as much as I did, was does this season have a flaw? Well, you didn't love it. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on from that one. Brilliant. Put my foot in it. Least favourite and favourite episode. Damascus, what was your least favourite episode? Well, my least favourite, um, 
But yeah, the show's so good. I don't really have any least favorites, so I just want to put that out there. But I'm going to go with episode three. Mm-hmm. And I love when Claire and Fleabag are together. Sure. Um, but I the only reason I'm saying is because, it, yeah, it just does have that level of disconnection, I guess, from the rest of the season. Um, but that's it, really. It's not really a least favorite, but I had to give you one. So, there you go. Mine is episode two, mm-hmm. uh, only because it's just getting the ball rolling. It's starting sen- sentences, not finishing them. And the first step was so good. The second one is just sort of like, okay, now we're going to get this story rolling. That is literally it. Mm. I have... I really like that episode. As I like every episode this season, so I don't know. That's to give you something. What's yep. your favorite episode? Uh, episode five, because we've got Claire's haircut, which is probably my favorite joke of the sure. season. Because I just very much enjoy that actress's face in that wig. It just gets me. Um, it's also when Martin comes over to the cafe and begs Fleabag not to let Claire leave him, and yeah. he's so desperate. And that that scene is really tense between them. Uh, that just ends. With like, fuck you, fuck you. It's great. Um, What's the line he says? It's like something about fucking a lawyer. So I am fucking my lawyer. And he's like, like lucky, lucky, lo- lucky lawyer. lawyer. And you can see him look at like within himself being like, damn, I want to fuck her. Anyway. <laughs> um, it's when the priest and Fleabag have sex, but it didn't feel like the creepy confessional scene, which I didn't like. Oh, let's talk about that then. Okay. So- Creepy confessional scene. Why don't mm. you like that? Is again, is it just that whole like? They're the confessional. It? It's like so fucked up, and he's like, it, he's he's working as a priest in that situation. Yep. He comes around and tells her to kneel, which yes. just makes me go fuck off. Yes. And yeah, just like because that is so clearly wrong and crossing and mixing boundaries that just makes me go gross, so gross. Um, whereas when he comes to her house, it's from like a, oh, we have a real fucking intense emotional connection and I want this so badly and she does as well. It feels much saner, more mutual kind of, I can get my head around that one. That's fine. But the confessional one just creeped me the fuck out. Do you think it's meant to creep you out though? Do you think it's meant to come? Because I think there's an argument and maybe some people, I'm not saying people feel this way. I don't feel this way. But I would not be surprised if people thought that was really hot, right? People do think that's really is, hot. Is that that's scene the general consensus? Is it that it's really hot? The whole Neil bit, yeah. Because I think it's meant to be a little bit like this is not right, because he is in a terrible. Well, you can see place. that he's fucked up in that situation. He is in a terrible. He's at his most vulnerable in that moment. He is. He's drunk. He was found. He was not meant to be found by Fleabag at that point. Mm. She just happened to be. Or maybe she was doing it on purpose, but he did not intend to see her at that point. He was really, really in inner turmoil. Mm. And all of that is just like him making bad decision after bad decision. It, I, I think it's meant to feel icky. Mm. If, even if it's meant to feel kind of darkly sexy or something, mm. it should feel a bit icky too. And I yeah. think that's the right vibe. I think that's okay. the right feeling. That's good to know. Personally. Because yeah. it, like it really is. If his story is like, his fall and then return to God. Like, this is like the lowest. He is like, mm. it's it's like desecrating a holy place. Yeah. What he's doing. It is not a cool thing if God is ultimately his true love and what he's going to return to. Mm. It's I, I find the whole thing very compelling. It's like fucking your mistress in your marriage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's complex, as gross as it is, and definitely mm. understand what you're like your, where you're coming from, your perspective on it. But that's why I kind of find it so compelling. 
Um, I, I like it a lot, I guess is that's, what I'm trying to say. That's fair. I do want to say that the cafe scene in episode four is probably my favorite scene, but episode five is my favorite. In- interesting. Gotcha. Yeah. So, the, yeah, to clarify, the scene when the priest sees us. Yes. Yeah. Which is excellent. I guess mm-hmm. stand out. Yeah, it's great. It was great. Use scene. of your format mm-hmm. to just like break it was your shocking audience when you brain see it. It was exciting. Yeah, it like changed the game. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it was good. Cool. My favorite episode was episode one, which is the restaurant episode. Very basically, good episode. It's the one that won for best writing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for Fleabag, and in season two in the Emmys, I should say. And I can see why. I think it's just a Freaking great episode. I think it's as good, if not better, than any episode in, se- episode in season one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really funny. There's like even just one of the early moments with the dad where he's like trying to give his toast. Oh, he just can't. Just baffle, like waffling and just nothing it is coming out. Gets to that point where I just want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And just like <laughs> it's such like a perfect definition of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the overhelpful waitress is just a funny mm-hmm. little detail in it as well. It hooks me in quickly. I'm feeling the energy between Fleabag and uh, Hot Priest at this point pretty quickly. There's a lot of tension with Martin, the miscarriage stuff, all the just the frustration with Claire and what the fuck is she doing. Mm. It's really, really exciting and ten- tense in there. And then the satisfying moment where they're in the cab at the end and, you know... She says to go to the hospital, and Claire looks at her, but sort of says thank you. And mm. they're back. They're back quickly. Yeah. The in real each bonding lives. moment is when I can't really remember which one says it, but one of them's like, "Oh, the priest is pretty hot." Yes. And the other one's like, mm, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And you just know that, like, yeah. they're just back to being sisters again. Yeah. And ah, oh, I love it. It's such a satisfying, brilliant it's a good episode. episode. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, love it. Predictions, hopes, or concerns. This might seem out of place because it doesn't seem like we're going to get any more. I reckon we'll get a third season in a while. Right. Okay. That was the question I was going to ask. Do you think we will? Do you think we should? I don't see any reason why we shouldn't. With enough time passed, yeah, I think that's fine. You know, she goes through another trauma, whatever it might be. She's in a different place. And uh, we, her kind of dissociative buddies, you know, drop by and, and. Check up on her because she par- – well, that's the thing. is like she only needs us when she's in turmoil. So if something else happens in her life that gets her spinning out of control, we'll probably pop up again. I have a theory on what it might look like because mm. I'm a big believer that if there's anything more to be talked about, it really has to be Fleabag's relationship with her mother. Yes. It's like it's just that one aspect that it's so important to Do you understand. it's it. when she has kids? Something like that, yeah. which maybe seems too obvious. And I, the last thing I want to do is peg this as like, oh, the defining story of her life is going to be her child. Like, I don't think that's what mm. needs to happen. But it just opens up a conversation between her and her mother if then she's in a motherly role to mm-hmm. a young daughter or something like that or mm. something along those lines. Yeah. And I did want to just quote uh, a little bit of an interview here. Uh, this comes from the article... Fleabag season three, maybe when she's 50, says Phoebe Waller-Bridge. This comes via Nick uh, Romano at Entertainment Weekly. I'll put a link in the show notes for the episode. Uh, This is the quote. I quite like the idea of coming back to her, well, me, when I'm 50, because I feel like she would have had more life then. And God knows what she would have got up to. Uh, She told Seth Meyers during an appearance on Late Night, actually seeing a character like her in that later stage of her life is exciting, but for now she's been through enough. We've got to let her go. Um, I quickly, very quickly, if you will indulge me, wanted to talk about seeing the recording of the live stage show, the original one Mm, woman play. Yes. 
um, and just how it was very similar and only and somewhat different. And I think what I really want to talk about is the art of adaptation because mm-hmm. I think that's what I came away most fascinated by. It is extremely similar to the series. Hmm. It's basically season one. It's basically episode one and then... They they've sort of spread the rest of the story because I think it sort of takes place of like two or three days basically in mm-hmm. in the stage show, and then they've sort of is it a one woman show? It is. It's one woman with a couple of voiceovers. Gotcha. Right. So she will is talking to the audience mm-hmm. and she was like she'll recreate moments. So she'll be herself and then she'll do a little bit of Claire, who I think is called Lily in the play, mm-hmm. um, and she'll do her dad, who's barely in it. Godmother is only mentioned. She's never present. She's not a character at all in it. Mm. Um, she plays bus rodent who's tube rodent. She plays Harry. She plays asshole guy. And like a lot of those characters are there. But really, it's mostly episode one. And then the actual start of the stage show is the interview with the bank manager in the bank. Mm-hmm. And it ends not with him coming to the cafe, but with we return to that interview after the bit where she's, they do the whole bit of like perv slut wow, mm. we go back and they have actually continued. They've had their little moment talking about their own mistakes, mm. and then they continue and they go, "Let's try this again." That's how. That's the bookend of right. the play, but it's actually a return back to the start, right? So does that mean they don't have the mo when that Claire and Fleabag go to the getaway and she Never hangs happens. out with the bank manager? Yeah, we see Claire twice. Right, the first time is at the feminist lecture, mm-hmm. which is very similar. And the second time is when she hasn't heard from Claire for a couple of days. Claire said she's going to give her the money for the cafe and that she's going to leave Martin. Mm-hmm. And then she goes over there, go, you haven't heard from you. Are you going to give me the money or not, basically? And she goes, does the whole, how could I... Because, sorry, at the lecture, she's Claire's talking about Martin and, and Fleabag goes, your husband tried to, ki- tried to fill me up at Christmas. Mm. So like so what the show did is it made that part of the story as was happening. Gotcha. But it was actually an initial event. She reveals that Claire says I'm gonna leave Martin. Then when she confronts Claire later, she's like, How could I leave you? How could I believe you after what you did to Boo? And then she spirals. Mm-hmm. There's another character in the play called Joe, who's sort of this really happy go lucky guy who, in a really, really low moment after that, she's looking for con- for that connection she gets from having sex, mm. tries to have it on with him, and he sort of walks away. And the other big thing that changes is you remember in the first season where Bus Rodent goes to kick uh, Hillary? Yeah. He really does <gasps> twice. And it was shocking because I wasn't expecting it because it didn't happen in the play, in the, in the show. Mm. And then I won't spoil this moment. Some other stuff happens. That's really dark and not at all in the, in the oh God. TV show. Okay. Um, because people will be able to go and find this. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of extra little dark moments. One other thing I will quickly mention. There, one of the things I liked about this, apart from seeing uh, like this art of adaptation, which is really phenomenally done, is such a great like expansion on this story and a great adaptation. Things are mixed around and sort of re- moved to different places and stuff. Claire is expanded upon a big way, Godmother and Dad and stuff, obviously. But there's, it's what you sort of get to see almost like outtakes. So, some moments that we have seen word for word go one or two lines further, which is interesting. Mm. And probably the most insightful moment was when she's talking about what happened with Boo's 
boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And she simply says, in a way I think of her trying to trying shift the blame, says it wasn't my fault. He wanted me. Mm. Which completely fits with what we know. Yeah. But like in terms of her explanation of what happened there, this addiction she has to that feeling that need to be wanted mm. is not something that's ever said. It's certainly alluded to, but hearing it come from her mouth was just an, a little extra detail that was interesting to hear. Anyway, hmm. I've indulged. You've cool. indulged me. Thank yeah, you for that. Yeah, no, that was interesting. Thank I you. Well, was, I've always been fascinated about what it looks like, so thank you for that. I would highly recommend it. I don't think it replaces it at all. It's so similar. Mm. It's like as to be like it can't replace it in your mind. You've watched it three times. I think you'd only find it interesting in mm. terms of like how this would be presented as a stage show first and then adapted TV show. They are the same thing, but be- completely different in their mediums and yet identical in their core mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Gotcha. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, and our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at BGordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next week. We'll be back with a new review episode to discuss BoJack Horseman Season 6, Part 1. So, Part 1, for those who don't know, Season 6 is the final season of BoJack Horseman. It's been split in two. Mm -hmm. The first part, we don't know if it's a half or more than, is coming out at the next week, basically. Mm -hmm. And then Part 2 of that will be out at the end of January. So, we're going to talk about Part 1 We've done that a couple of times. We do that with Star Trek Discovery. We've done that with Breaking Bad in its final season. And you know what? Mm. This actually is only fair. We did stick season one and two of Bojack Horseman together into one episode. So now it's going to get... Oh, yeah. Now it's going to have the proper amount of episodes there dedicated to go. it. Are you excited for that, Damascus? Are you excited for uh, yeah, Bojack? I'm very much excited. That's one of my favourite shows. Um, maybe ever. Yeah, I'm very excited. Me too. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Good night, everybody. And so, yeah. we